Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, September 23rd. I'm Michael Gidrian for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the former head of the Mississippi Department of Human Services enters guilty pleas in federal and state court. Then the attorney dismissed from the TANF scandal investigation breaks down what those pleas mean in the case going forward. Plus, how race is a factor in understanding the wage gap in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mr. Davis, as it relates to count one, conspiracy, how do you plead guilty or not guilty? Guilty. As it relates to count two, fraud against the government, how do you plead Yesterday, John Davis, the former head of the Mississippi Department of Human Services, became the latest figure to plead guilty for his role in the state's largest public corruption case. In front of Judge Adrian Wooten, Davis entered guilty pleas on five counts of conspiracy and 13 counts of fraud. He's also pleaded guilty to federal charges of conspiracy and theft from programs receiving federal funds. Wooten gave Davis a 90-year sentence with 58 of those suspended and 32 to serve. She put Davis on house arrest until his federal sentencing, which is set for February 2nd. In her final statements, Wooten addressed Davis directly. The fact that you were entrusted by the taxpayers, by our elected officials, to run the Mississippi Department of Human Services, to oversee what we could not oversee, that you were entrusted to do good by those that we consider to be the least of those, those that you were supposed to ensure that received that helping hand, the helping hand that so many people needed, the fact that the legislature passed legislation to attempt to prevent fraud from the very people who needed this assistance. But it wasn't those individuals who were committing acts of fraud. It was those who were entrusted to help them who were committing the acts of fraud. This court is very disappointed. 
The state court charges were mostly tied to welfare money spent in connection to former wrestler Ted DiBiase and his son Brett DiBiase. On the steps of the courthouse following the proceedings, Hines County District Attorney Jody Owens was joined by State Auditor Shad White as both shared their thoughts on the outcome of the case. Today is a good day for justice. It's a good day for all Mississippians. You saw the day the former director of the Department of Human Services, John Davis, was sentenced to 32 years. It's been justice delayed, but not justice denied. In February of 2020, I stood in this courthouse steps with the auditor, and we announced the indictment of six individuals to immediately stop Mississippi's most vulnerable population from losing money. I'm proud today to admit that we've been able to stop that, and all of those defendants have currently been held accountable and all have pleaded guilty. And the question that everyone's warning is what's next? Uh, what's important to note, John Davis's testimony and his plea was that he would continue to cooperate. He's cooperating because there are other individuals that the state and the auditor's office and the federal authorities are interested in. We'll continue to work together to hold all those individuals accountable who you know and don't know who have committed the worst crime ever by stealing from poor people, our most neediest people. Uh, I'll just say thank you to District Attorney Owens. You know, I'm thinking back to 2019 and 2020 when we discovered this massive fraud scheme. You all all know that the only way we get results and that folks are held accountable is if a prosecutor has the courage to step up and charge individuals with crimes. That's exactly what District Attorney Owens did in this case. He had the courage to take on a complex, uh, difficult case, and they did it with uh, incredible skill. Just his decision alone to indict those individuals who we then arrested likely saved the taxpayers millions and millions of dollars of welfare funds because we know now that more money was prepared to be pumped out to those same individuals who have today pled guilty uh, to fraud. So District, o- District Attorney Owens uh, is, is owed a great uh, debt. Uh, by the state and the taxpayers for doing his job and doing it well. I can tell you this, on my end, we're going to continue to make sure that this case is thoroughly investigated. As everyone knows, we have turned over every piece of evidence that we have over to federal investigators. Not only that, just in the last two weeks, we have assigned another investigator to this matter. We're going to dedicate whatever resources we need to to this to make sure that our federal partners have everything that they need. And ultimately, between us and the federal investigators, this case is going to be thoroughly investigated top to bottom. After the break, the attorney dismissed from the of scandal investigation breaks down what this and other plea deals mean going forward. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. And MPB's license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. As director of the Department of Human Services, John Davis was an influential figure in a scandal that has snared several people, including pro wrestler Ted DiBiase and Nancy and Zach New, a mother-son duo who ran a nonprofit that funneled welfare funds to connected individuals. That scandal has also raised questions about retired NFL quarterback Brett Favre and former governor, Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant. 
Brad Pigott is an attorney in Jackson and a former U.S. attorney. He was contracted by the Department of Human Services to investigate the agency's spending under Davis. But when he sought to subpoena individuals linked to TANF funds used to construct a volleyball court at the University of Southern Mississippi, he was relieved of his duties. Pigott tells our Desiree Frazier what Davis's plea deal means in the bigger picture and responds to his dismissal. Presumably, Mr. Davis will be obligated to now tell uh, federal officials, including the FBI, everything that he knows about all of this, um, just as uh, Mrs. New and her son, Zach New, already had entered an obligation to do. And uh, uh, presumably, he will be asked about the uh, transaction of several million dollars of money, uh, TANF welfare money that went to the University of Southern Mississippi for construction of a volleyball facility, um, it it was my effort to, through a civil subpoena, to seek out information and documents and texts about that transaction uh, that caused me to be terminated a few days later. But uh, hopefully federal and state officials will continue to look into that transaction and those uh, millions of dollars and how they got to the volleyball construction project. That was the first that we heard about the stadium project was when you were fired as an attorney for DHS. Why do you think that that occurred? That was another piece of the puzzle in this sprawling embezzlement case of $77 million that you brought to light. Wouldn't it be important to go after that? In my view as a lawyer and a former prosecutor, it is important to find out all of the facts about these millions of dollars in uh, TANF welfare money that went to build a volleyball facility on the campus of the University of Southern Mississippi. Um, It's an important issue. That was the largest number of dollars that went to any ultimate recipient of this TANF welfare diverted money Uh, beyond those who have already pled criminally guilty to their conduct. How do you see this playing out? I mean, the governor stepped in, and apparently he um, was instrumental in removing you from the case. Mississippi Today has reported that there have been text communications between Brett Favre regarding this volleyball stadium and former Governor Phil Bryant that connects them potentially, to this scandal? Right. Well, we know from common sense that millions of dollars going into construction of a new volleyball stadium on a university campus is incompatible with with serving uh, poor people and alleviating poverty. We know that. We don't need any further information to know that. But hopefully federal and state officials will now turn to getting all of the facts, all of the texts, all of the emails about that transaction, since that's the largest number of dollars that went ultimately to any uh, recipient of this misguided, misdirected TANF welfare money. Well, you had issued subpoenas for them to explain their role in that stadium. Correct. Along, what was John, were you able to find out what John Davis's role? Were you going to subpoena him as well, or did you subpoena him? 
Well, we were going, Mr. Davis was already uh, sued as a defendant, so we were going to ask him in, in his deposition about what he remembered about that uh, transaction with the volleyball arena. Um, we know from published information by Mississippi Today that Mr. Davis was in on uh, meetings having to do that, including uh, meetings at USM, of which he's a graduate. And John Davis is pleading guilty to federal charges involving Ted DiBiase Jr., a wrestler who um, apparently was paid for presentations that he did not make. And Davis um, pleads guilty to directing two nonprofit organizations to direct money to certain entities and individuals that was earmarked for welfare funds. Yes, Mr. Davis, as he apparently acknowledged in open court under oath, arranged for about $5 million to go to Ted DiBiase and his son, Teddy DiBiase, two former retired so-called wrestlers. Uh, And Mr. DiBiase, Ted DiBiase, was widely known in uh, wrestling circles as uh, the million-dollar man uh, years even before the state of Mississippi gave him and his son about $5 million in TANF welfare money to do little or nothing. And what you were able to ascertain, does this the scope of this embezzlement go even beyond what we're hearing right now in your estimation? Well, it might well. Uh, the, the principal things that the state auditor's office did such a good job in researching and publishing uh, more than two and a half years ago, uh, the principal things were um, uh, listed back in that report in, in the spring of 2020. Um, but with the pleas, with the guilty pleas of Mr. Davis and Mrs. New and young Mr. New, uh, and their obligation, hopefully, to cooperate fully and to tell the truth to FBI and other law enforcement officials. Uh, hopefully, all of the diversions from the uh, anti-poverty purpose of the TANF program will be fully explored and fully discovered and fully litigated. And ultimately, it's been reported by Mississippi Today that the former governor, Phil Bryant, really had control over those funds ultimately and could direct former executive director John Davis in how to proceed with them. People are wondering, is he going to be implicated in this and charged? Well, he is being implicated, but is he going to be charged in your thinking? I don't know, but his texts certainly tell a compelling story. And uh, the texts, as we say, are not going anywhere. They uh, were from him and to him, and they tell a compelling story of his uh, avid involvement in many of these transactions. Ultimately, how are you feeling about this? We have a Mississippi welfare scandal that $77 million was apparently misused, misappropriated, that was earmarked for some of the poorest people in the poorest state in the nation. Well, it is appalling that so much recklessness was engaged in uh, with so much public money that was set aside to 
uh, cajole people out of poverty to give them uh, programs, real programs. Nobody is talking about uh, wishing that more people had just gotten more checks for doing nothing. But there are things that can be done, things that many good people are doing in Mississippi to enable poor families to get out of poverty. And the tens of millions of dollars that went to uh, celebrities, to rich people, to politically connected people, and other people who are way beyond the scope of needy families it is all quite appalling as a, as a citizen and as, among the people who want to see poverty reduced and believe that people have the capacity to get out of poverty if they have a little uh, help and services of the kind that they need. Do you think that the federal government can get to the bottom of this and ferret out everything that needs to be discovered and handle it in a way that justice is served? I do believe they have the capacity to do that. Well, sir, we appreciate your time in speaking with us, Brad Pygett. Well, thank you. Coming up, how race is a factor in understanding the wage gap in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. For advocates of equal pay in Mississippi, this week holds significance based on wage data. Wednesday marked the number of extra days black women in Mississippi would have to work into this year to match the earned wages of white men from last year. Cassandra Walshland is executive director of the Black Women's Roundtable. Yesterday, she told us an equal pay bill passed last year didn't go far enough to address pay inequities. In part two of her conversation with Desiree Frazier, she explains why race can't be ignored when examining the wage gap. We know that we can't talk about the pay gender, um, um, the wage gap, without talking about race because we know who are mostly impacted. Just based on the data, as I said, black women make 56 cents on the dollar. White women make 75 cents on the dollar in Mississippi. And so and, and so they both are women, but the difference is that they are um, um, white women and they are black women. And that, that is what makes the difference in this. Black women are discriminated against at higher rates. And so, and we know that has a lot to do with, you know, racism that have existed um, in our labor laws and in this country. And so um, it was really important um, and it should have been important that lawmakers um, made sure that the law included race and not just gender, just because of who is being impacted the most. Will you be lobbying to have this law amended? We will be going back to the legislature um, to um, try to fix the law. We don't think there's a real appetite today, um, or maybe not even January, but we will continue to do our work 
to ensure that Mississippians have what they need in order to make sure that their paycheck and their pocketbook um, can take care of their families. So we will continue to do our advocacy work um, at the state level to, to do this. But also we're doing this at the local level. We have a campaign called Equal Pay Committed Cities, where the state didn't get it right, but we believe cities can get it right. And so we have cities who are coming on board and are introducing ordinances and want to introduce ordinances to ensure that they are in, um, that they're having um, policies in place that will close the wage gap. What are some of the cities that are willing to do this? So we know we have Jackson. Um, They came on board in 2019. Uh, We also have had um, Clarksdale. They came on board, I believe, in 2020. Um, We have um, cities in Como, Mississippi. We've had cities in Greenwood, um, Greenville, um, who have come on board. Uh, We have some cities down on the Gulf Coast. Um, who also um, have reached out. And so we have met with about probably 20 cities across the state of Mississippi who have shown interest, and we're just now waiting to um, work with them to get um, the um, get ordinances introduced so that they can pass those ordinances, but not just pass them, but also work to ensure that they are not, um, that they have strong policies in place that will um, close that wage gap and make life better for um, moms and women who are working um, in their city. Have you been speaking with the Mississippi Economic Council, the basically the state's business chamber of commerce? Yes. So we we have spoken, we spoke with them on, I believe it was last year. We will be going back to them because we, again, we need businesses to be able to um, support and support women in the workplace. And so we will be going back to them and sharing with them how important it is, let them know what this law is but also how to educate their constituents about the law and not to implement these kinds of policies. So we will be doing our due diligence and going back to them to do that education and asking them to be a partner with us and ensuring that the, that their um, membership are implementing um, policies in place that will support the women, and and not just the women, but all their workers, but particularly the women and particularly um, black women and and women of color. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's important to discuss about this issue? If Mississippi would implement a good equal pay law, it would contribute $4.15 billion into the state's economy. And we know that is so important given where Mississippi lies when it comes to um, the poverty rate. We also know that know that it will cut the poverty in half um, if Mississippi would close the wage gap. And so that means more money would go back into women's pocketbooks and they know, and and women are essential to local economies. 
They buy groceries. They buy cars. They buy groceries. And so their pocketbooks matter, not just to the state economy, but to the local economy. And so Mississippi must pass a good equal pay law so that women in Mississippi can thrive. And I'm thinking, by and large, women probably, I'm just throwing this out, may spend more money than men for clothing, for hairdresser, for nails, for feminine hygiene, for all the things that women need that men don't necessarily spend that much on. Correct. We're talking about, like you said, feminine products. Um, and, And based on the data, and child care is one of those things, based on the data, we know that women are heads of their household. Um, again, eight out of 10 black women are heads of their household in the state of Mississippi. And so we are um, paying more and we are doing more and taking care of our households um, more so than men are. And so I agree, we are the spenders, we are the buyers, and because we are the caregivers of our families. And so our pocketbooks matter so much to um, to our economy. And so it is just right that Mississippi lawmakers, again, put in, um, implement laws that will protect women's pocketbooks. And that also goes to businesses, that businesses will not use this law um, to further discriminate, but really implement and commit to being a fair employer who will implement policies that will protect women's pocketbooks. Cassandra Welchlin with the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. Thank you so much for speaking with us about this important issue. Thank you for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.